Well, good morning again, Real Life Church. Man, it's so good to be here this morning. Appreciate your faithfulness. Excited to get to open God's Word with you this morning. As I, as I said earlier, our family's been blessed to be a part of Real Life Church for going on three years now. It's been close to three years that we've been here. And it has been exciting to see the growth of this church over the years that we've been here. I mean, I... One of the things I love about Real Life Church is the way that we do outreaches. I've told several people, I said, Real Life is really a small church, comparatively, that does outreach in a big way. Man, I am, I am so excited for the trunk or treat coming up in a couple weeks. I, I am looking forward to that. It's going to be exciting. By the way, there are sign-up sheets over here for the trunk, trunk or treat. But man, I'm, I'm looking forward to it this year. This year, our family is doing Dr. Duff's used body parts. And I, I am so excited about that. I cannot wait to get my truck decorated up and, and just, just see the kids come by and experience Dr. Duff's used body parts. And, and I'm sure at this point, the leadership team is in full promotion mode. Man, they do such a great job of promoting these events. Usually there's a really nice mail-out that goes out. There'll be a couple thousand flyers that go out. And we see some good response to those flyers. There's a Facebook ad. There's a promotion on the web page. And anything else that they can do to get the word out about these events. And it's so important that we do that because we always see growth from those. Whenever we have one of these big events, we see people respond. Our church grows a little bit more as a result of the efforts that are made by you guys. You guys are the ones, they plan, they can plan and plan and plan and plan, but it's you guys that make the events happen. You come and you put in the work and you serve and you're encouraging. And I believe as a church that we are willing to do whatever it takes to grow. I believe Pastor Tim and the leadership team is willing to do whatever it takes. And I believe we as a church are willing to do whatever it takes to see real life grow. And we're going to continue to invest in those things that make real life grow. But while advertisements and flyers are good, this morning I want for us to focus on the best way for real life to grow. I love this statement I heard a long time ago. It says, churches grow when people who know the gospel tell people who don't. That's when churches experience their greatest growth. When people who know the gospel go and tell people who don't. I like the way Perry Noble said it. He was a pastor down in the southeast area. He said, found people find people. Man, that is a great thing for us to put in our mindset. Found people. People who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Find people. They bring people in. And and it's great to do special events. These special events that we do are, are just great. But honestly, our greatest asset for growth is looking at me this morning. You are the greatest asset for growth that real life has. Far beyond 
any outreach event because you have the opportunity to be real life church, to witness, to invite, to bring people, to load up your car, to bring people into the church. You are the greatest asset for church growth that we have. God shared His thoughts on this when He said, Go ye into all the world and pass out flyers. No, that's not what He said. He said this from Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said, And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The way God intends for real life to grow is by you and I taking the gospel to people who need it. That's the way God wants to see this church grow. When when we take the gospel and we go to somebody who's hurting, someone who's struggling, and we share the gospel with them, and they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and come into the church. I don't want anybody to raise your hands, but how many of you feel equipped to share the gospel and lead someone to Christ? Let me put it this way. If the conversation with the waitress at lunchtime today turned to spiritual things, you're having a conversation at the restaurant after church, and then suddenly some reason they notice something and and the conversation turns to spiritual things. Would you feel equipped? Would you be ready if the opportunity arose to lead that person to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and walk away confident that that person is going to spend eternity in heaven? And as I thought about what I was going to do this week, Pastor Tim's been talking a lot about outreach and ministry and witnessing, and I thought, man, this would be a great opportunity since we're kind of at a break here, just to share a message on how to lead someone to Christ, just to, just to equip the church. Many of you already know it's good to have a refresher, but for some of you, This is so very important as we look at this thought of sharing the gospel. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is the need. We're going to look first at the need. This is a convicting thought. It says, rarely a day goes by that we don't lock eyes with someone who is lost. There's rarely a day goes by that we don't lock eyes with somebody who is lost. It it might be the gas station attendant. It might be the guy in the car next to us. It might be the guy jogging down the sidewalk. It might be the checkout girl, or it might be the girl that checked us out. Guys, you know what happens, right? Come on. Guys, you're with me, right? The girl that checked... Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Yes. Yeah. We're the girl that checks us out. Uh, but, but, but we stop and think about it. It happens. Every day we look into the eyes of someone who is lost. We see lost people every day. Now, I, I want to stop here and define our terms. Lost is one of those nice Christian terms that we use to lighten up a heavy topic. We do that, don't we? We, we lighten up these heavy topics sometimes. By lost, 
we mean a person who is going to spend eternity in hell. That kind of sobers it up a little bit, doesn't it? Every day, we look into the eyes of someone who is going to spend eternity in hell. And it gets kind of quiet. Revelation 20.15, it says this, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Does it bother us that someone whose eyes we looked into this morning, let's bring it down even closer, maybe even in this room this morning, will spend eternity there. Does that bother us? The answer has to be yes, or we're wasting our time here. That's the most important thing that we have to do this morning. That's not what God wants for them. He wants them to be found. Look in, look in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that what? But that all should come to repentance. It's not God's will for them to be lost. And that's where we come in. God does not want anyone to spend eternity in hell. He's willing that everyone comes to a saving knowledge of Him. He wants them to be found. That's where we come in. I love this statement. We are here for them. We're here for them. We're not here for us. We're here for them. We are the ones who have been called. We are the ones that have been given the charge to take the Gospel to them. We are here for them. We're here for the ones that God is not willing to lose. God's done everything He can. The rest is up to us. So so where do we start? We see the need. We know, hey, this, this waitress that I'm talking to right now, that's filling up my water glass, may be headed towards an eternity in hell. And she's asked me a spiritual question of some kind. The checkout girl has asked me a question. The person in the cubicle next to me has asked me a question, a spiritual question. Where do we start with this idea of salvation? Well, we have to start with the main issue. And the main issue is our sin. Main issue is our sin. Now, notice that I said our sin. That's always the place that we start. Not your sin, our sin. The last thing that anybody needs is some pious gas bag, holier than thou Christian, berating them about their sin. That's the last thing our world needs today. But this first verse we were going to look at, it says, for all have sinned. Now, just so we're clear, all includes you and I in a very real way. It includes us in a very real way. Because here's the thing. The only difference between their sin and our sin is that as Christians, we are incredibly blessed to be forgiven. 
That's the only difference between their sin and our sin is we've been forgiven. That's the only difference. But here we go. The first thing we need to do is help them to see that they have a problem. And the best place to take them for that is to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It's a very familiar verse to most of us. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, in all my years, I've never witnessed to anyone over five years old that has had a problem with admitting that they're a sinner. Most people realize that there is sin in their lives, and for a lot of people it weighs very heavily on them. At least until the point that they can sear their conscience where they can, they can overlook it. But most people, their sin weighs heavily on them. Romans 21.8, it says, But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, that's a good verse to go to just to kind of illustrate the seriousness of sin. But don't start out by accusing them of being a whoremonger or a false prophet that sacrifices their children on the altar of Baal. Okay, that, That's really not the place to start. But you can usually draw them in with a lie. Look at that. It says... And all liars. Man, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever told a lie? Look at what the Scripture says about liars. This is how serious sin is. Sin is so serious that even the smallest lie can keep us from heaven. Just the, just the smallest lie can keep us out of heaven. And that's a good place to roll into the penalty for our sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a good place to illustrate that sin is anything that falls short of the standard that God has set for us. Man, it could be something that's forgiven in His big ten commandments could be something as serious as adultery. It could be something that is outside of His will. It could be disobedience. It could be our own stubbornness. Man, the list of sins is endless. If we sat down this afternoon and just started trying to write out not every sin we've committed, but every sin we know, we'd be there a good long while, wouldn't we? And we wouldn't come close to exhausting the sin that's in this world. It's an endless list. And there, there's many roads that lead to sin. There really are. But every sin leads to one place. The, the sin of Adam in the garden resulted in the first mention of the word death. Because of Adam, we're all born with a sin nature. And, and that nature resulted in one of two certainties in life. Taxes and death. I really think I really think that taxes are a result of the fall in the garden of Adam and Eve. I think that's where that came from, but I can't prove that biblically. 
But because of Adam's sin, each and every one of us have been born with a sin nature. And that sin nature condemns us. It separates us from God. And we all find sin very naturally. How many of you had selfishness lessons? You, you, you had a lesson. Somebody taught you how to be selfish. How many of you sat down and had lying 101 in school? Now, those are things that come to us naturally as a benefit of our sin nature. And that sin nature separates us from God. Now, the problem is, when this world ends, the accountability for our sin does not. And that's what so many people refuse to see. Anytime we fall short of obeying a God, uh, uh, obeying a law, there's a penalty to pay. If you enjoy driving 70 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone, and the police officer pulls you over, there's a penalty to pay for breaking that law. I won't ask for a show of hands there either. But uh, there is. So every sinner who leaves this earth without Christ... There's a price to pay. They might have lived their lives seemingly with no consequences for their sin. But at the moment of death, that all changes. You see, when we leave this earth, there are only two options. Heaven, which is a perfect and pure place. Or hell, which is a place of eternal torment. When an unrepentant sinner stands before a holy God... He has no other options. As we think about God, God is pure and holy and just. There is is nothing unpure about God. And as God, He dwells in a place that is holy and pure. And if God were to allow sin into heaven, it would no longer be a place that He could dwell. So he, He has only one option. Because Heaven would cease to be a holy, perfect place where He could dwell. Sin would literally corrupt heaven. So that leaves only one option for an unrepentant sinner, and that's hell. And man, that's tough news. That's that's really tough news. But the news does get better. The news does get better. The second part of the verse, Romans 6.23, it says, "...for the wages of sin is death." But, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then we start talking about the gift of God. So what is the gift of God? I love Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through, through 8. Some of, the best, some of the best verses in Scripture when we're looking at this subject. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, before Christ, because of our sin, we are literally hopeless. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to help ourselves. Man, so many religions try. They try doing penance. They try doing good works. They make every effort that they can to be accepted by God. I remember a couple years ago watching this, these, this group of guys. They were making their way from a shrine in Indonesia to some other shrine. 
and, and they're walking along. They've got their shirts off. They're, they're girded with kind of a loincloth thing. And they've got these great big heavy logging chains. I mean, the links on them look like they were made of metal about that thick. And, and they'd, they'd go a few steps and they'd stop and they'd take these logging chains and they'd just smack them over their backs. I mean, just boom! When they hit, their backs were all bloody. They were, they were doing penance of some kind. And when they got to the temple their relationship with God was going to be all it should be. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad Jesus did that for me. I'm so glad He did that. See, they can't accept the fact that salvation doesn't depend on their efforts. Christ has already done what's needed for them to be reconciled to God. See, God will never start with what we need to do. He will always start with what He has already done. Because Jesus died for them. Romans 5.7 says, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Now, it's conceivable to think that someone would die for a righteous man. Here at Real Life, we've got several members who have served in the armed forces. They served in the military. They were willing to put their lives on the line for the good people who make up this country. And and we can understand that. What we struggle with is is the next verse. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Now, the Greek word for commendeth here carries the idea of uniting something together. So we can understand it this way. Even though we were sinners, God reunited us with His love through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died to pay the penalty for the sin that separated us from God. And He did that so that we can love, no, see, he did that so that we can love, I'm going to try it one more time. He did that so that we can know the love of God again. We can know what it's like to be in God's love. I, I, want, to, I want to think of it this way. Mark, come up here a second. It's a good illustration of what's taking place. This is my friend Mark. I love him. See, Mark, Mark this week, not really, just for illustration. Mark this week was diagnosed with incurable cancer. Okay? He went in, the doctors checked him out, said, there is no hope. There's nothing we can do. There is no hope. Through a miracle, I can come to Mark and I say, Mark, I love you, bro. I love you, bro. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the cancer from your body and I'm going to put it in my body. So what's going to happen to Mark? He's going to live. He's going to live. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to die. That's what Jesus did for you and I. He took the sin 
that condemned us. He took the sin that was going to send us to an eternity in hell. And he took it into his own body when he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could live and know the love of God once again. That's what Jesus did for us. That's that's what salvation is. That's the gift of God. That's forgiveness that He offers to each of us freely. And that's where the exchange takes place. This is where someone moves from death to life. You see, Christ did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. That's why Jesus came to this earth. He came to make dead people live. Look in Romans chapter 9. Chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 through 13. This is where the exchange takes place. It says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. And I love this last one. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you've done a great job up to this point. You've done a great job. You've realized the need. You've shown them that they're sinners. You've shown them that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin. Man, they are convicted and, and, and they are ready. I mean, you might ask them, hey, you know, if, if you wanted to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today, are you ready to do that? And, and they say, yeah, that, that sounds awesome. Now, in the Christian world, this is where things can get a little strange. We're, we're good up to this point, but now things get a little diluted sometimes. Usually about this time, a good Christian will get all excited and what happens is they start to change their voice inflection and they switch to King James English. Dear brethren, are you ready to accept Christ's sacrificial atonement for your sins? I mean, we've, we've all seen it. We've all seen it. Or, or maybe somebody gets, uh, you need to check your Bible version, okay? Because there are people who believe if you don't have a King James Bible to lead someone to the Lord out of, they're not really saved. Most important, most important, they have to kneel. Okay? You have to kneel when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior because we all know that the best salvation decisions come when you kneel. Alright? Yeah, you're all looking at me like I'm crazy at this point. But really, isn't it amazing the things that man tries to add to a free gift? And Jesus has done everything that needs to be done, and yet we want to add all these things to it. And that's not what God intended. So, what is required for someone to be saved? The question we need to ask is, 
What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That's pretty simple. When you confess something, you're, you're admitting to something. In this case, we're talking about admitting our sin. Man, we've already talked about how we're all sinners. We understand that. It shouldn't be a big deal to confess it. And guess what? God already knows. He already knows that we're sinners. It says, And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. Man, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, and that He rose again on the third day. That, that's the Gospel. He died for our sins. He rose again the third day. I mean, that's, that's the Gospel. Most of the time, people will already believe what they need to know about Jesus because it's a story that they've been a part of all their life. Christmas, Jesus was born. He came to this earth. Good Friday, He died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Easter Sunday, He rose from the grave. They're familiar with the story, and now they're seeing it in black and white, that it's, it's a truth from the Bible. And most of the time, they already believe that. They already understand that. They already know that. And third, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is simply the part where we accept the gift and we thank Him for it. When somebody gives us a gift, what do we do? We accept it and we thank Him for it. I like to use the illustration of a Christmas gift when I'm explaining this to somebody. Man, we get, we get excited. There are crazy people who are already looking forward to Christmas even though Halloween isn't here yet. Okay, they're already looking forward to Christmas. That's just an illness. Okay, they're looking forward to Christmas long before Thanksgiving is even here. But man, we go out and 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 we buy that Christmas present. Man, we 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 use our money. We buy that present. We lovingly wrap it. We take it and we put it under the tree, and and it's there on Christmas morning. And man, we're so excited about it. Christmas morning comes and, and everybody comes down around the tree and man, the present's there and, and we offer that present to someone. It's not really their gift until they accept it. They take it, they open it, they make it their own. And man, usually there's, man, I appreciate this. Thank you so much. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's, he's given us that gift. It's there. He's waiting for us simply to accept it and thank Him for it. That's the proper response to a gift. Usually, this takes place in the form of a prayer. If you're witnessing to somebody and you share this illustration, they're ready to be saved. Usually, just the form of a prayer. They want, we, want, we want three things. We want them to confess their sin. We want them to express their belief in Christ. And we want them to thank Him for the gift. Usually it's a good, a good way. Sometimes they're comfortable doing it themselves. Sometimes maybe we can just lead them and you know, as best you know how, pray this prayer. And we share the Gospel with them. 
and they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Not based on what we said, but the Scriptures that we've looked at this morning. My hope, my prayer is that maybe just this message this morning will help you as Real Life Church to go out and to share the Gospel with your friends, with your family, with your co-workers, with just the stranger that you strike up a conversation with. And that Real Life Church will grow through your ministry. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Let me ask you this. How many of you would say, Pastor Mike, right now, in the quietness of this moment, I can think of people that I need to share what we have talked about this morning with. I know somebody that when I look into their eyes this afternoon, when I look into their eyes tomorrow, at work, in the car, in the gym. There's somebody I know that is lost and headed for an eternity in hell. How many of you know somebody like that this morning? Just raise your hand up. I know somebody I need to witness to. There's somebody I need to share the Gospel. Yeah, hands all over. Hands all over. Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for what He has done. Thank You that He died on the cross for our sins so that we could know forgiveness, so that we could spend eternity in heaven with You. And thank You for leaving us here for them. For the One who needs to hear. For the One who doesn't have You as Lord and Savior. For the One who if they died today would spend an eternity in hell. Thank You for Your gift to us. And I pray for each one who raised their hand and said, there's somebody I know. There's somebody I need to witness to. There's somebody I know that needs Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that You would just help them to take the notes and the things that they heard this morning and share them and that we would be able to rejoice in hearing what You do through them as they lead somebody to a saving knowledge of You, as they witness, as they bring them into the church, as they become part of Your family and then go out and do the same. God, give us a passion. Give us a burden to reach them. Let me ask this this morning. I wonder if you would say this morning, Mike, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. My sin this morning is separating me from a holy, loving God. I have never accepted that gift of salvation. I know this morning as I'm sitting here that my sin is separating me from a holy and loving God. And if I left this earth today, heaven would not be my eternal home. And this morning as I think about sin, as I think about this separation, I know it's time 
I need to do something about the sin in my life. This morning, I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. If that's you this morning and you are ready, you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today, let me encourage you to pray something like this in your heart. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. And my sin is separating me from You, Your love, and heaven. And this morning, the best I know how, I want to ask You to forgive me of my sin through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Father, forgive me for my sin. I accept Your gift of salvation. Thank You, Father, for Jesus and for saving me this morning. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, I'm going to count to three. And if you prayed that prayer, you asked Jesus to be your Savior this morning. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand high just as a testimony of what Jesus has done in your life this morning. One, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same again. Three, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior this morning. Raise your hand up just high. I accepted Jesus Christ. I ask Him to be my Savior this morning.